Let us pray. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood shall be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. O Lord and God of all nations, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to the people who walk in it, you, O God, who has called us in righteousness, please have mercy. Fulfill, O Lord, by your mercies and grace, your purpose and promise to us. Appoint us as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. By your mercies, O Lord, let your word go forth and pierce as far as dividing of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Let your word lay bare and expose anything hidden. Bring us down on our knees, O Lord, Adonai, to repentance, submission, and worship. Amen. I bring greetings from my family. 
My name is um, Sedo Teedio. Sedo for short. Um, I'm married to one wife. Her name is Ifoma. And God has blessed us with only four children. By God's grace, in June, we'll be married for ten years. Yeah. And it's been ten years of God's mercies and grace. I thank the church leadership for giving me this privilege and opportunity to share God's word. Our topic is a light to the Gentiles for salvation, with the key verse in Acts 13, verse 47. And I read from the NASB, New American Standard Bible. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. It is a broad topic that may require much more than 40 minutes to unravel. We do not have all that time today. But let's see what we'll do. Let me start by using this illustration to drive my point home. Even if that's all you get for today, that should be fine. It's a presentation of seed with three questions. Okay. We can see the diagram there or the picture. How many seeds are in the apple? How many? Yeah, everybody can see very well. Some will argue there are most likely four because the other half may have two. Anyway, that's good enough. Second question. How many apples are in the seed? How many apples are in those two seeds? Three? Uncountable. Third question. How many seeds are in the seed? It's clear, isn't it? Uncountable. This is the potential that Christ places on each of us who believe. It is the blessing to be fruitful and to multiply. That as the pure seed of Christ is implanted in anyone who believes, that life has the potential to multiply, spread, and be a blessing to all of the earth. It is the promise from God given to a life committed to Jesus in Isaiah 27, 6, that in the days to come, Jacob will take root. 
Israel will blossom and sprout. And will fill the whole earth with fruit. It is what God wants to do in my life. In your life. He says in Isaiah 51, 1-2. Listen to me you who pursue righteousness. Who seek the Lord. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. NIV says, I blessed him and made him many. Let's open our Bibles to Ruth 1, 1 to 18. I read, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the, wife of his, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she rose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the land of Moab. Return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Opa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your, daughter in, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you 
or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This passage will serve as a framework which, by God's grace, I will present what God has to say about this topic. This story has a happy ending where Ruth follows her mother-in-law back to the land of Israel and she ends up marrying Boaz, an Israelite, a rich and successful man at least by the human standards of the day. By God's divine orchestration, the couple form a union that leads to the lineage of the Messiah. What was it about this Israelite woman with such misfortune? First off, she ran away from Israel in search of food. And then in the end, lost her husband and two sons. No status, just an ordinary Israelite woman. No possessions. Simply put, she was destitute. What was it about this Israelite woman plagued with disease and misfortune? That a Moabite woman will look at and cling to her with a daring commitment to land, to her land, to her people, and her God, even to the point of death. What life statements could such a destitute woman make to a pagan? a Moabite that will command such allegiance and loyalty. What unforced strong attraction could there be in the life of a hurt and broken Israelite to a pagan who had a choice, who had an alternative to be free and pursue what the world may offer it wasn't that Ruth had no choice. She was given the freedom to walk away. Who is this ordinary broken woman, very well familiar with the brokenness of our world, and yet maintains a posture that set her up on a lineage of grace? Who is this ordinary woman Familiar with grief, sickness, pain, loss, lack. And yet went through life in a manner that formed a sort of genetic code that would bring light to the Gentiles and salvation to the whole world. 
Matthew 1, 1 to 16 has a record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And he puts it very well. Ruth married Boaz, who became the father of Obed. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. And down the line in verse 16, Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. In God's divine orchestration, looking at the faithfulness of one woman, her having no idea of what God was going to do in her life, her simple faithfulness in the face of hardship and suffering finds her action down the line in generations to come bringing light to the Gentiles and begetting the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The question then before us is how may our lives be lived in such a way that it would add up to be in fulfillment of God's purpose to bring light to the Gentiles and by extension his salvation to the ends of the earth. We will look at the life of Naomi and see how that relates to us. We will try to appreciate who this God is. This God of Naomi. We would also try to figure out what it may take for us to be light to the Gentiles unto salvation. Naomi's world is one we are familiar with, isn't it? We live in a broken world. Sickness, pain, death, lack, shame. Fear. A world with unfulfilled dreams. A world full of chasing after the wind. We live in a dark world. But this was not the world God intended from the beginning. When Moses in Exodus 33 cried out to God in one of his three requests, he said, Show me your glory. God answered, be, answered him by giving a vision of who he is. In Exodus 34, 6-7, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed his name, The Lord, the Lord God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness to thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the, grand, on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Seen in the book of Genesis chapter 1, God created a beautiful world. He looked at it, evaluated it, and invested one. He confirmed it was very good. Free from shame, death, disease, pain and strife. 
He also created sort of a replica of himself. Man. To take care of his creation. Right from the beginning, God had a clear purpose and intention for creating man. Clearly stated in Genesis 1, 26-28. When God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps all over the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He created man in his own image and likeness with eyes to see, with hands to touch, with legs to walk, and an intellect to function as caretaker and lord of the earth in love, grace, compassion, forgiveness, justice, and righteousness. There's also a flip side God also created man with a blessing and mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole earth. And the simple logic is, as he created plants and everything, he also created them with a blessing to be fruitful and multiply. And it only makes sense that as the plants, vegetation, and other animals are fruitful and as they multiply, as caretaker of the earth, To be able to function, he also is mandated to be fruitful and multiply. To be able to take care of a world that will continue to increase and fill everywhere. You all know the the narrative in Genesis 3. Man fell for the lie of the devil and rebelled against the command of God. In keeping with God's character... To uphold his love and justice, he cursed the serpent and all creatures. He cursed the woman and cursed the man and cursed the ground. As a result, all creation became marred and under a curse. Because the seed, the seed of all livestock and all creatures and the seed of the woman was cursed with enmity, with hostility. Greed and strife were passed from generation to generation. In all my four children, I never called anyone and said, come, come. You know what? In this world, you have to know how to lie. This is how to lie. I never did that. I've beaten my children over and over again for lying. I don't know who taught them. Man with the potential and full capacity to love will now strike. Man 
woman with potential to rule and cater with grace, compassion and mercy will no longer forgive and would hold a grudge. The ground will now produce thorns and thistles and disease. Man will eat bread only when he sweats and in the end fall to the ground and die. God subjected man and creation to where it is in keeping with his love, in keeping with his justice, and in keeping with his wisdom. It was God who subjected creation to where it is. It wasn't out of his control. Satan did not take the steering wheel. Under his control, he subjected creation to where it is. In his divine wisdom, love, and justice. However, the scriptures emphasizes in passages like number 23, 19, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? In Isaiah 46, 8 to 11, it points emphatically, emphatically to the point that God is God and besides him there's no other. God beats his chest saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Also Job admits in Job 42 too, that I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I can go on and on. But the point is, God is committed to bringing fruition what he had in mind from the beginning when he created the world and man. God has a promise for a better future. God, by virtue of who he is, in keeping with his sovereign character to accomplish whatever he intends and purposes, and by virtue of the fact that no one and nothing can thwart his purposes, not even man's sin or the devil, he is committed to restoring creation to what he intended from the beginning. God has gone as far as to swear by himself. To make it clear to us that his purpose for creation will be accomplished. And Hebrews six thirteen to 20 puts it very well. It says, for when God made the promise to Abraham... Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. God swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. Verse 15 says, And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath giving us confirmation is an end to every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, 
you and I, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things his purpose and an oath by himself which it is impossible for God to lie we who have taken refuge in him would have strong encouragement to hold on to the hope set before us since this hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast. Just in case sometime you think that God will not accomplish what he has purposed, God said, let me make it clear. I swear by myself. I will bring my purposes to pass. God is working out a future. God has also said in Isaiah 2.2, that it shall come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may learn to walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares. Plowshares are farming instruments. The swords that people will use to strike and fight, they will hammer them into plowshares. And their spears, they will hammer them into pruning hooks. Pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 paints a beautiful picture of how Jesus will function and what he will accomplish. He says, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Talking about Jesus, he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see or make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will make decisions for the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And as he functions in this capacity, let me digress a little. I hope we are able to make the connection that this is the pure seed of Christ that God formed in man from the beginning. And through Christ, he is committed to implanting that seed in us. And it is in this capacity that the seed of Christ would function. And he's saying, 
as Christ exercises his rule and character in this capacity, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the lion will eat straw like the sorry, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the wind child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day the nations will resort to the roots of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. In summary, in Revelation 21, God gives John a vision of a new heaven and a new earth where God's dwelling will be with us. He will dwell with us and we will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The memory of evil and evil people, people who are cowardly, unbelieving, immoral persons, idolaters, sorcerers, liars, he will wipe the memory of all of them on earth. Strife, sin and the curse will be wiped away into the lake of fire. That is the picture. Back to Naomi. Just like Naomi, we yearn for a better life. Something in us tells us that life, life can be more fruitful and fulfilling. We say there's more to life than this. So we go about in search for a better life. For food, wealth, possessions, titles. And we return home later, somehow, in the end, realizing that the satisfaction promised us by food, wealth, titles and possessions is false. A mist. A leaning on the spider's web. But then it takes only God, only God to realize that man shall not live on bread alone. As Jesus stated, restated the scriptures in Luke 4.4 4, that a man's life does not consist on the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12.15 And that wisdom and understanding is more profitable than silver and gold. Proverbs 8.10-11 However, however, understand that the yearning for a better life is not out of place. It is a yearning innate in us to recover what was lost at the fall of man. 
when God cursed all of his creation, it is a yearning for restoration. If a car is built by a manufacturer and it remains in the showroom, if you like, fill it up with money or wash it with bleach. If you like, call it a Lamborghini. As long as it remains in the showroom, it will never ever live up to fulfillment. Never. It was never said in the beginning, let us make man so that he may have money, houses, cars, titles, etc. By the grace of God, Ruth saw in Naomi a life worth much more than silver and gold, titles and possessions. That life is the core of our human existence that money cannot buy. Your work cannot buy it. It is a gift from God. Naomi was given three things by God. Three things that we should seek after. Three things that will enable us to be light and blessing to the Gentiles and world at large. Three things. The first is covenant. The second is character. The third is multiplication. The ability to be fruitful and to multiply. Covenant. Elimelech and his wife Naomi were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. By virtue of Naomi being an Israelite by blood, she had established covenant with God. To partake in the life of God and find fulfillment in life and be a blessing, a covenant with God must be established. This covenant is established by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the acceptable sacrifice and price through his blood shed on the cross to take away our sins and free us from the curse. This covenant comes about by believing in God according to the scriptures and accepting the sacrifice of Jesus over our lives. Romans 10, 9-13 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is your heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with your mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, Nigerian, Kenyan, and the list goes on. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. 
For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Settle the issue of covenant. First of all, for if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. Galatians 3.29 Character. Sorry I have to rush through my notes. Please, as God will allow you, pay attention and follow. The second thing Naomi had was character. Naomi was a woman of character, no doubt. She maintained a life that her daughter-in-law saw and said, no matter what, I will be like you. This commitment had nothing to do with possessions, title, and fortune. Nothing to do with what we call prosperity in our times. In fact, the spirits of this age will make many run away from such a mother-in-law. Who will say she is a witch. She must be possessed. Nah. Husband, dead. First son, dead. Second son, dead. Only you remaining. Ah, there's something wrong. We are so driven by fear, distrust, and a false sense of prosperity. No. Ruth was drawn by the hidden quality of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. 1 Peter 3, 1-6, that's what it says. Another important point, nevertheless, as stated in 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3.19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Number one. And the second. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Set on the rock are two unnegotiable qualities. Covenant and character. It is impossible for those who are in covenant with God to live a life that does not imbibe and uphold the character of God. The two do not go together. If you have a covenant, check your life. The two must go together. Let me paint this picture and may God by his mercies help us see. For a mad world full of darkness and strife to be redeemed and taken care of. It will require the caretaker to be light, isn't it? The world we have now is not what it used to be. And if by who God created us to be we are to be caretakers of the earth, the ball, it's changed. The mandate and the way we go about being caretaker is changed. The caretaker has to be light. He has to have wisdom and counsel. Just like in Isaiah 11. 
He has to be just and upright. Because of the character of God, our mandate has not changed. It is like telling my daughter to go and sweep this room. I go out, spend the day and come back and see the place still dirty. Even we as ungodly as we are, I will not say, I told you to sweep here and you didn't sweep. Come on, move away. And then I will carry the broom and start sweeping. Is that what will happen? I would call the child, spank the child. And say, I told you to sweep this room when I left. Take that broom and sweep the room. Some of us will even ground them, even after sweeping the room. Say, from today, by 4 p.m. every day, you must sweep the room. If we, as faulty as we are, would have that inkling of God, how much more the God of the universe, who had a purpose in mind when he created us. He says, you know what? I put you in charge. This is what we have now. You will take care of it. He created us to be caretakers of the earth. And that is why it's clear in Amos that surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servant, the prophet. His purpose for us has not changed. I don't believe it will. In being light and facing the challenges of our time and living up to who God made us to be in Christ, character stands out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood for the cost of truth, even at the cost of their lives. And the prestigious positions they had. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O Nebuchadnezzar, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set. Jesus, engaging this world to bring about redemption, had to face the cross. He exercised love, forgiveness, endurance, grace, and justice at the cost of his life. These guys lived up to their mandates and were fulfilled in their own rights. I'm sure at the end they beat their chest with a deep sense of fulfillment. God's purposes for man transcends ease, prosperity, success, and on and on. That we are innocent and upright doesn't guarantee prosperity and good health. The bigger fights when the chips are down may be of integrity, truth, justice. And when the chips are down before God, these may stand taller than ease, comfort, health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, sometimes God brings pain, sickness to prune us so that we can accomplish his purposes. We have a calling and mandate that is bigger than us. What may be a vital step to settle this character issue with God? 
What may be a vital step? I have a few minutes. Present yourself to God for cleansing. Pray to God to appear to you and work on your life and be prepared to cooperate with Him. Let me quickly share a little from my meditation in Malachi. From Malachi 2, 5 to 7, it is to the sons of Levi. I read, My covenant with him was one of life and peace. By extension, to, to save time, understand that by extension, this is the mandate and call that God has for us. And I gave them to him as an object of reference. The whole thing of being caretaker of the earth is an issue of priesthood. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The Levites are a pattern for the nation. Which is to be a kingdom of priests. In First Peter, we say we are a kingdom of priests. To declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his glorious light. In Christ, we are drawn into the priesthood. Into that covenant of peace that God made with Phinehas in Numbers 25, 10-13. God is clear in Malachi 2, 5-7 about what he had in mind as he instituted and established the priesthood. In the priesthood, God put honor on man. However, as a believer in Christ, I seem to fall short. Believing and receiving the sanctifying work of Jesus on the cross and functioning as priest, I seem to offer sacrifices that don't measure up. Even my best intentions and or my offerings seem to be wrapped with clouds of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is what it is with my life. I don't know about yours. However, there's a deep yearning for all my gestures, gestures, my intentions, my moves, the things I do, the offerings I make. There's that deep yearning that it will rise to God as fragrance, acceptable and pleasing. I must confess that this, sedo on your own, can't achieve. How will my deepest desires be wrath of the king of glory? How will my mundane actions be pleasing fragrance? How will my priestly service indeed be whole, pure? How will my deeds of the flesh be dealt with, really? God brings hope by his promise and assurance in the person of Christ. He introduces the messenger of the covenant. God promises that this messenger will appear. 
But also he describes how he will be when he appears. God warns that his appearing will have implications. Malachi 3, 1-4 Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Who can stand when he appears? He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. By the way, silver is harder to purify than gold. He promises to purify the sons of Levi as silver and gold. At his appearing, I will be purified. The idea that Jesus is gentle and mild doesn't fit in here. He will wash away all my infirmities. Imagine the scrubbing, the beating, and squeezing. Sometimes when we do not hear, he brings suffering, pain, sickness, death. As legitimate children of his, he would not discipline you if you are Ill- illegitimate. He will leave you. But if you call yourself the son of God, be ready to stand under the discipline of God and be available to take heed when he disciplines you. When he purifies and when he washes, Levi will present offerings in righteousness. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem of Sedo will be pleasing to the Lord. Sedo can stand. Can you stand? Will you present yourself before the messenger of the covenant? He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. How badly do I want to glorify God by presenting to him offerings in righteousness? The work of purification will begin with me and will spread to the nations just like it began with the Levites and spread to the entire nation of Israel. I'll conclude in one minute, sorry. The last point is multiplication. The moment Ruth cried out and said to Naomi, Your God, my God. Your people, my people. Your land, my land. Naomi became two. She had multiplied herself. God had multiplied her. This is the very thing God wants to do in our lives. He wants, to be fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'll conclude. 
The first step is to ask God of a harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The second step is to mingle with unbelievers. Naomi had to be close enough to Ruth to make an impact. This has to be intentional. Naomi had to be deeply immersed in the pagan world to influence her Moabite daughter-in-law. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We make the mistake as a church to always find ourselves in what I call spiritual ghettos. We are not in the world and not of the world. So we become detached and irrelevant. We don't have a voice. We have become like salt in the salt shakers and and like lambs put under the basket. We are called to be ambassadors living in a foreign land but promoting and imbibing the ethos and values of our homeland, providing citizenship and expanding our influence. As a doctor, as a carpenter, wherever we find ourselves. It has to be intentional. To multiply yourself, pray, mix up, select prayerfully and teach by your word and life. And patiently wait for God to bring about his salvation and multiplication. As a Christian, this should always characterize your life at every stage, at every point in time. Remember, faithfulness is the belt about his waist. Naomi had no idea that her faithfulness would lead to a chain reaction, fulfilling the purposes of God and bringing about the birth of the Messiah. One question we should start asking each other in the church from this day may be, Who is your man? Who is your woman? Who is it you have by your side, close to you, that you are pouring your life into? As a doctor, you have other colleagues, you have students under you, and you can transpolate that to other professions. Oh Lord, please have mercy. Establish your covenant in our midst as a church. May Jesus Christ, the one true God, your one and only Son, increase in us. May Christ multiply in and through us. And may your light shine and bring your salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. Covenant. Character. Multiplication. That's what it takes to be the light. Do you have that covenant relationship with God? Has there been a definite day in your life that you can say, I have this covenant relationship with Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Father, thank you for your word coming to us. Thank you for your message that has come. We receive it in full in the name of Jesus. Lord, we receive grace to shine as light. Lord, we receive grace to stand up to your pruning and become even more fruitful in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Father caused the aroma of Christ to go forth through us deliberately, consistently, that the character of Christ being formed in us will result in fruitfulness each time we speak about Christ intentionally. Help us, Lord, to be prayerful people. Help, O oh God, even those that are following online as they make commitments to Jesus, as they make commitments for fruitfulness, Lord, that each of us will experience your power, experience your grace. Thank you for your son, our brother. Thank you for the work that has been committed to his hands in the Navigators. Thank you for his wife and four children. Lord, his life will become multiplied in each of them unerringly. And they will be greater if Jesus tarries in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, Lord, let your grace be upon him in his journeys, in his interactions, in his interface with the world, that he will never be of the world, but constantly in the world, manifesting the life of Christ. We cover him in the blood of Jesus. We send forth your prosperity on him and your abundant provision. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church of God say...